This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, you are listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. And I'm your host, Jackson Reinhardt, and I am pleased to be with W.H. parentheses Bill Bellinger Jr., Professor of Religion Emeritus at Baylor University, to talk about his new book, Introducing Old Testament Theology, Creation, Covenant, and Prophecy in the Divine Human Relationship, published by Baker Academic 2022. In introducing Old Testament theology, Bellinger uses ancient Israel's confession of faith, the Psalms, to introduce the sweep of Old Testament theology, creation, covenant, and prophecy. He shows how these theological dimensions each entail a portrayal of God and invite a human response to him. Bellinger also discusses how to appropriate Old Testament theology for contemporary life. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your new book. Glad to do that. I appreciate the opportunity. Great. Well, before we get into the content of the book, tell me a little bit about your scholarly background and how it led to the writing of this uh, new primer. Well, I, uh, I did my graduate work at the University of Cambridge a long time ago now, but I have uh, taught Old Testament and Hebrew for uh, more than 40 years. Uh, primarily in a university setting at Baylor University. And uh, uh, I, have, uh, I, I have had a variety of things that I have emphasized through the years, Psalms being one uh, and another being Old Testament theology. And so it is a particular interest of mine, and, uh, and I wanted to pursue that some more. Uh, because I hadn't hadn't had an had the opportunity to write as much about it as I had hoped to, so uh, that this um, this is kind of the uh, the the last project before my retirement, and so uh, I'm I'm glad to to be able to work on Old Testament theology for that. I I completely agree. It was a, a great book. I. Uh, I always love new Old Testament theologies, but before we get into also the contents, what exactly, and you spend some time on this, what exactly is Old Testament theology? Where did it, where did it come from? Well, I, w- I would say the simple definition is uh, theology is a word about God. And so Old Testament theology works at what the Old Testament proclaims about God. And I, I see that, I mean, that, that, uh, 
on a sort of plain reading of the Old Testament seems fairly obvious to me that the text is talking about God and it is talking about God in relation to humanity and the world. And, uh, and, and I would like to, uh, you, you said in your introduction, the sweep of Old Testament theology. I would like to think some about uh, the, a way to structure structure that so that we can uh, uh, so and so that students and ministers and, and those and people in the church and and other readers as well uh, can try to think about that in in a in an organized way I I think it's very helpful in that and as we talk about framework you have this analogy of a stool for talking about your Old Testament theology. What are the three legs of the stool and how do they help uh, a minister or a student or a theologian read the Bible or the Old Testament? Well, I, the, the analogy comes from uh, my background in the University of Cambridge. And back in the old days, students used to sit on a three-legged stool. It was called a tripos to answer the questions for their exams. And I've just taken that as a, a simple way to think about because I do see the Old Testament as having three uh, primary ways to think about how God relates to humanity and the world. And they are, uh, they are, they are different from each other, but they are not unrelated. And they are, they are certainly not contradictory. They are, uh, but they are different perspectives about the divine human relationship. And uh, so the three, the three legs are co- covenant. Uh, that's a, a one that's commonly talked about with the Old Testament. God, uh, to take the, the major text of the Exodus story, God delivers ancient Israel from bondage in Egypt. And, and uh, out of that, it, they enter into a covenant relationship in which God becomes their, their deliverer deliverer, their liberator, and in which the people become God's people. And so they are called to live in a certain way covenant as covenant people uh, in order to fulfill that covenant. Uh, but, that's, but that's not the whole of the Old Testament. Uh, indeed, in, in the canon, prior to that, we have God pictured as creator. And uh, God is the one who creates the world and humans, and God relates to them. And the Old Testament has a great deal to say about how uh, how this God uh, uh, thinks about. Well, that, that's a that's a that is already talking using a human word to talk about it. How this God uh, arranges the relationship with humans, and how this God. Uh, urges humans on to to fullness of life. And then I would suggest that I've suggested that there's a third leg here, and that comes with the prophets. Uh, The prophets certainly use language about both creation and covenant, but they do so in the context of speaking a message in which God through the prophet is speaking to the people and calls for a response and the language of repentance is important there. I, I, I think repentance is a word that is 
has probably often been uh, cornered by more conservative uh, Christians, but repentance is about kind of reorienting life in relationship with God. And uh, all three of those things are important in the Old Testament and uh, need to be considered as a part of it. I, I found the tripost structure very intriguing, uh, and I thought it illuminated these texts really well. But but to speak of texts, uh, the, the, there is so much debate on how to base an Old Testament theology. Do we do it in sources, in fragments, in canon, etc.? How do you organize? Do you have this this tripost framework? But but what is the the, the, the framework looking at canonically? Or biblically? Well, I, I would say that, that I begin literarily. Uh, uh, Old Testament theologians have begun in a variety of places. Some have begun in history, some have, and some have begun in the sort of movement of the canon. Some have, have begun with various metaphors which they use to articulate the faith uh, dimension of the Old Testament. Uh, but it seems to me that, uh, uh, that that we start with the text. The text certainly embodies lots of historical things. This text certainly embodies a process through which it has grown and been composed. But the truth is, contemporary readers often don't know a lot of that information. And in fact, some of that information is hidden in the midst of time. But it seems to me that we can start with the text itself, if you will, and the literary shape of that text. And what is more, when I want to ask about the theology of the Old Testament, I I tend to think of, okay, now where in the Old Testament is uh, our confessions of faith quite clearly articulated? And, And I would suggest that the place in the Old Testament where the greatest The greatest amount of faith confessions is is in the Book of Psalms, which is ancient Israel's prayer book and hymn book. And uh, so, I suggest we start there. And it's in in that uh, context that I find those three uh, legs, if you will, of the stool. And uh, and and so I, I start there, and then and then move through the canon thinking about those three legs of the stool. I don't separate the legs. I try to go through the canon because I think the history of scholarship has told us that that's, uh, that's a better way to do it. I think it was uh, an interesting and, and enlightening way for sure. So, so we have this framework, we have the canonical structure it follows, starting with Psalms and then moving through. What is the goal of Old Testament theology, right? You mentioned this is the kind of the top of the stool. Uh, what, what, should he, what should readers and, and worshipers gain from uh, this, this framework and from understanding Old Testament theology? Well, the, the seat of the stool I have uh, described as salvation uh, that's another loaded term for lots of people, I think, uh, and, I, and I, I try to trace it back. The English word comes from the Latin that really means wholeness, and it, so it's about 
whole or full or complete life and uh, for the community. And it does seem to me that the Old Testament is bears witness to how God has, uh, has moved this community toward wholeness of life. And, uh, and it uses these various ways, various literary dimensions to do that. And uh, that, that's really what uh, uh, the goal, it seems to me, of the text is. Uh, and, um, uh, well, I, I think that's, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, 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 I I agree. It was the these these three legs or triposts leads to wholeness and salvation. Um you you mentioned frequently throughout the book the importance of narrative and of poetry for contemporary readers. Like when, when readers and, and uh, worshipers come to the text, you, you mentioned narrative. How does narrative help contemporary people appropriate and understand the old and, and be influenced by the Old Testament narrative? Well, that, that's, uh, uh, I think, a good and interesting question and, and a somewhat complicated question. I suppose I would approach it this way. Uh, the notion of memory is very important in the Old Testament. The Old Testament often is with narratives or with poetry. It is calling to mind uh, the community's memory of how God has been involved with the community and how God has moved the community forward, uh, sometimes through great difficulties, but sometimes also to great hope. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and those memories are usually in the forms of either narratives, which I think is really probably the dominant strain in the Old Testament, or sometimes poetry. Poetry can be very passionate and very uh, uh, suggestive in its images. And, uh, and, and I would suggest that people, most of us, when we, we are living, when we're going through life, we are doing it with some kind of narrative in mind as to how we are to live and how we are to move forward. Or we are doing it with some kind of construct that's a part of our memory. And, and often that is uh, articulated in poetic structures in the Old Testament. Uh, and it, it seems to me that that's one way uh, that's it's pretty abstract, I admit, but that's one way to think about how we can move these ancient texts into a community that's uh, that lives in a very different world in many ways. But but we can still uh, understand things about relating to people, about how how about uh, growing ourselves, and about uh, problems of hope and and uh, trauma and all those sorts of things about life. And uh, uh, Old Testament theology, I think uh, uh, really, it really does need to relate to the contemporary world if it's really theology. Uh, uh, if, it, if it doesn't relate to the contemporary world, uh, my teachers always said to me that that's not really theology. That's, that's just, that's, that's a historical perspective. It's not that it's unimportant, but, but it's only part of the story. I, I completely agree. I, 
I was raised in a, in a Pentecostal church. And one thing I always uh, have, have valued from that experience was memorization of the Bible and how you can apply long Psalms that are remembered or gospel stories or biblical narratives and apply those to, you know, oh, this situation reminds me of, say, Psalm 23, right? And then you could you could think about that as you stew over the incident. So I, I, I thought your emphasis on narrative and poetry was, was so pertinent. Uh, Speaking of the canon, so we have we've we've gone over the tripos, we've gone over the importance of narrative and poetry, the canonical structure. For the sake of time, let's focus on one kind of subcanon and see how these this tripos appears. So you, you are a Psalms scholar, so elaborate for us how creation, covenant, and prophecy appear in the Psalter. Okay. Thank you. Uh, that, that's uh, I like that choice. <laughs> uh, the uh, to begin with creation. Uh, uh, creation shows up first of all in the creation hymns. There are hymns of praise that are in praise and great adoration of the God who is the Creator, and those that creation language is often in uh, conversation with creation language in the Book of Genesis and uh, uh, gives us perspectives to think about how we care for the creation, but also how we fit in the creation. Psalm 8 is a sort of uh, uh, one that is, uh, uh, it begins, uh, how majestic is your name in all the, the earth, uh, O Lord. But it, it, but it also is about the place of human beings in that creation. And indeed, the place of human beings in the image of God is right at the middle point of that psalm, and uh, it it, uh, it articulates uh, the place of humans as very much in relationship with God, but also humans as people who have their own agency to participate in in the world and the creation and the community in the world, uh, and and that seems to me to be important. Uh, uh, I, it would also be, I think, the case that uh, uh, the wisdom psalms are a reflection of creation as well. When God creates the world, God places wisdom in them. And in the wisdom psalms, the community is, is uh, given wisdom, learning to learn to live life more fully. So that's a, that's a couple of places where creation uh, is is important. Covenant shows up, I would say, in two places particularly. One is there are a number of historical psalms in praise of God and the mighty acts of God. Uh, that historical narrative, it's it's recounted poetically, but it it is it forms a narrative, and uh, in in that narrative, God is is pictured as the one who delivers the people and gives them life and and calls them to live as God's covenant people. The other way is a very interest is very interesting to me, particularly is the lament psalms, the prayers in the book of Psalms. The lament psalms are kind of the other side of the covenant in which ancient Israel is praying to God and saying, look, you promised us in the covenant that we would get fullness of life and we're not getting it. So where is it? What are you doing? This is ancient Israel calling God to account. And, uh, 
And so that that prayer, that that uh, very honest prayer, is uh, is also I think operating out of a covenant theology of prayer. And then I should finally say something about the prophetic in the Book of Psalms. There are several places in also in the hymns of praise where God instructs the people in worship, and God uh, speaks to the people in direct speech to call them to faithfulness. And uh, my view is that the prophets, that that language is language that the prophets would have grown up in, in the worship of ancient Israel, and it's reflected in the prophetic books as well. So is that at least some examples? No, I think those are those are great examples. I'm the one part of the book that always struck me was your emphasis on lament in the covenant. How uh, Israel, again, I was raised in an environment in which you never spoke of God, right? You, you never questioned Him or never spoke in those kind of terms. But the Psalms and and in the covenant text are full of saying, "Yahweh, do this." We we it is it is our side of the obligation that you must fulfill. So I thought your emphasis on that was was great. So to, to kind of conclude here, we've discussed the major themes and arguments and points of the book. Going towards the conclusion, a lot of people uh, in the Christian community wonder about the relationship of the Old Testament to the New. Does this tripos, uh, the uh, creation, covenant, and prophecy, does that continue in the New Testament, or is this kind of framework only for the Old? Well, I, I have to admit that I'm uh, my thinking about that is not complete yet. Um, I do think it continues in the mm-hmm. New Testament. There's certainly creation language in the New Testament, and there certainly is uh, new covenant language uh, in the New Testament. Uh, uh, Jeremiah and other prophets spoke of a new covenant, a new way of thinking about the relationship with God, and certainly that gets fulfilled and and uh, talked about in the New Testament. So you do get at least, you get those two things. And it, there are, you can think about the epistles in the New Testament as being somewhat analogous to the prophets uh, in that they are occasional literature dealing with particular uh, crises and particular issues in the history of of, uh, of the early church. Uh, I, I would say that the New Testament uh, makes it very clear that they see, that the writers of the New Testament see unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament much more than they see problems or tensions between them. Uh, I do think uh, I do think the issue you raise is a very important one, and I fully admit that I've only opened that issue in this book. I have not really pursued it a great deal. That is, that is completely fine. I well, you mentioned prophets and epistles. I always think of James, who speaks so uh, forcefully like a prophet. Well, Bill, what? Is that- yes. Yes. Well, Bill, thank you, thank you so much for your time uh, to go over this this wonderful new introduction on Old Testament theology. One last question before we conclude is: I know you mentioned that this is your last book before retirement, but do you have any other projects on the horizon that you're thinking of? Well, I, I want to pursue uh, things from the book that that uh, that are uh, I think 
uh, incomplete about it. Uh, you you mentioned the Old Testament, New Testament relationship. I, I'm particularly interested in pursuing further the question of <coughs> how contemporary readers, how contemporary people of faith can appropriate these texts and use them. And so the, the, the questions of narrative and poetry, those are things I'm particularly interested in. I, and I have various projects, mostly, mostly they're on the Psalms. Uh, my wife says that anything I write at the end of the day, it's still about the Psalms. And (laughs) actually I think that's a good thing, but, uh, uh, but those are at least some of the things. Well, Bill, I look forward to whatever new projects that you have forward, especially on the Psalms, if it's as good as what you've written before. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast with me. Thank you very much. And you have been, yes, and you have been listening to new books in biblical studies, speaking about introducing Old Testament theology by W.H. Bellinger Jr. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.